Welcome to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I'm a Christian. And I'm Rebecca. I'm also a Christian. What, what, what's this, Jamal? We have a lady in the room. I... We've had ladies before, thank you very much. Not in the room. Not in the room. Yeah, that's true. We we are expanding our um, our middle class white people um, (laughs) group to be more inclusive and now have slightly more diversity. Although still a Christian, I still feel ganged up on. You invited her, man. That's true. So, um, Rebecca, (laughs) Rebecca is someone I've known for a few years and a fellow student at um, St Mark's in Canberra. And you listen to the podcast, don't you, I do you, listen Beck? to the podcast. You, yeah. You're the first person on the podcast who listens to the podcast. And I saw your oh, face I when I did the intro and line. you were like, I, I could see you like, oh, this is what they say on the podcast. I did have a moment of, oh, what are they going to say? And I was like, oh, no, you have to say something now. It was a little bit stressful. I feel mildly famous right now. It's a good feeling. Yeah. So yeah. do I. <laughs> yeah. How does it feel to be on your favourite podcast of all podcasts? I couldn't tell you that. Oh, fair. You absolutely opened yourself up to that. So, um, Rebecca, you sent us in a book recommendation and because both Jamal and I are lazy and or illiterate, we decided that rather than read the book you'd suggested, we'd get you on to talk about the book that that you um, had suggested. That entirely checks out with uh, your character as I know it. Thank you, Jacob. So what I'll tell you about the book first... Uh, I'll tell you the name of the book and then I'm going to tell you a personal story that will circle back to the book. So the book I brought in is called Stealing My Religion, Not Just Any Cultural Appropriation by Liz Bucar. If I am ever mispronouncing Bucar, you have my apologies. This book came up for me after a bit of a, I'd say about four months of thinking about questions of religious borrowing or religious borrowing is the term that Liz uses in her book. Um, to really indicate when do we take religious practices, uh, themes, um, ways of doing being outside of their religious contexts and can it be harmful? Hence her association with the word appropriation as well. This first came up to me um, when I hate to be a, a bit of a gong or resounding record when I went to a Florence and the Machine concert. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Yeah, so I saw Florence live earlier this year. Have you ever seen Yusuf Islam live? No, but I think I have heard him when he was performing and I was just in, like, um, the parklands next to where he was performing. So got a bit of a... Actually, uh, while we're on music, the the one question I did ask, is the title in any kind of way a reference to the R.E.M. song? Not that I'm aware of, but I'm sure you could actually do some research. So I I have a book at home, Jamal, just to prove that I am literate, um, which which is referencing the R.E.M. song called Losing My Religion by um, Tom Frame, a a history of kind of faith in Australia. Yeah, nice. Sorry, back to your story. That's that's fine. It wouldn't surprise me. I've said too much. It's it's a catchy title. It wouldn't surprise me. So um, I went to see this. uh, Florence and the Machine was playing at this music festival that I went to and being the, you know, one of the headline acts, I went along. I hadn't really listened to much of Florence, nor had much like of a following of her persona. Um, but I found myself really uncomfortable during the performance. A lot of the way she performed and um, conducted herself on stage brought this real deistic imagery to it. Um, you know, fluttering around, flowing. Um, she had this massive crowd. Like I've never felt claustrophobic in a crowd before. It was that packed. And her closest followers were right up at the front of the stage, arms reaching up, almost in praise of her. 
And I just had this moment of, oh my gosh, this is too much. And then what really got to me was on top of it, she had some imagery uh, using uh, like Jesus Christ in her songs, in her lyrics, which I was like, is that okay? You've kind of got this deistic performance going on and you've borrowed religious language that you don't believe in and you've got kind of people worshipping you. I felt super weird and it didn't sit right with me. Mm. Have have you heard the artist, artist Father John Misty? I have heard of Father John Misty, yes. Because I, I, I saw Father John Misty at one point. He's the, um, I think he was the, in the Fleet Foxes or, or one, of the, one of those kind of bands. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting because what you're describing to me, I mean, it's not every single, uh, you know, pop rock star in the world, but I, I, I think it's quite common, right? Like, and I, I think I bring up Father John Misty because I think he also leans into that to another extent in that his stage name is involving yeah. a kind of religious... Um, Famously, Madonna, I think, did a thing with like a rosary, rosemary, <laughs> a rosary and a crucifix, right? Like yeah, a, this yeah. predates me. Yeah. But, yeah no, yeah. she Madonna's, um, Madonna's uh, incident is uh, mentioned in the book, although mm. not the case study. It is um, brought yeah. up as an instance of should hang on, people are getting offended at this. Is there a good reason for it? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting kind of thing, right? Because I think there is there's absolutely a kind of a a religious borrowing that's going on there. And I, I think I'm just like, I'm, I'm interested in the layers in which that's, I guess, are they, are they borrowing something specifically religious or are they borrowing the concept of worship, right? Because I think you can often borrow the concept of worship when you're talking about pop stars or people that you kind of idolize. Um, and it sounds like, you know, some of her lyrics brought in kind of Christian thinking and theology and that kind of stuff. But like, you know, there are, there are pop stars that have big crucifixes on their stage or certainly a lot that have very, um, you know, using a lot of Eastern religion affiliations and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting kind of observation, which I, I don't think I've ever, th- I thought about it in the sense of like a, Oh wow, this is like a bit of an excessive way of you know engaging with a, a music style you like. But I've never thought about it in a kind of a a religious appropriation kind of way. Yeah, and I think at the time I I was trying to air this frustration, um, and my companion said, "Oh, they're an artist. They can, you know, it's art." And I said, "But that's my God. They're talking about that's my deity, and like, how dare they use that?" Mm, yeah, Jacob, you look like you have some say. Oh, I, I was holding a thought, but you go. It's just it strikes me that this there there seems to be a thing of like a can you appropriate Christianity, especially as a um, a Western kind of Anglo person? Because what what you're describing there of like well that that's my deity. That's that's you know the God that I believe in it being represented i would you you would say about the sounds of things like unfairly in the way that you've seen florence presenting right like it, where's where's the line between that and somebody saying jesus christ when they've hit their finger with a nail or something like that right yeah i need to watch myself on that one <laughs> oh, oh, i'm the first to admit i think for me it wasn't necessarily um it's the has this imagery been borrowed without permission 
like who's given the permission for you to borrow this imagery for this purpose? Well, who has the authority to give permission? Exactly. And that's where our good friend, Segway, Liz Bucar comes in with her book, Stealing yeah. My Religion. It being Florence is interesting because we, we have done an, an episode before on Florence yeah. and Florence's um, cover of You've Got the Love, which is a highly religious religious song. So it's like, I mean, I don't know Florence's religious affiliations, but also, you know, there are lots of artists who are Christian artists who, you know, I- even if they're not, you know, Christian rock per se, that their whole message is not about Jesus, like, you know, Ben Harper is an artist that I like a lot. We maybe yeah. can, we'll do a song of his at some point. But he has a lot of very explicit Christian imagery in his songs, but he's also a fairly devout Christian, and that's just one of the things he sings about along yeah. with... This is Mumford and Son, right? Like yeah, God, yeah. So, yeah. He sings yeah. about sex and he sings about God, and that's the, the th- <laughs> things that he, he puts in the same kind of album. Yeah. I'd be interested to do a Divine Music um, at some point as well on early Ray Charles, right? Mm. Because he gets cops a lot of flack for taking gospel sounds and doing non-churchy stuff mm. with them. But I think you've got a quote for us, Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, she looks at a number of case studies of borrowing from different religious communities in in this book. And um, she says, when one of these practices is taken by someone outside the group, the group member's right to privacy is violated and a powerful mechanism for creating group identity is undermined. If group intimacy is what establishes the right to ownership, only a group member could make a legitimate claim of appropriative harm. However, this introduces another challenge, who is an insider? Mm. And um, the issue with religion is because even in inside groups, there is absolute varied claims, varied understandings, different ways of bringing um, understanding faith, understanding the way we use different practices, uh, different rituals in different situations. Some people it's fine, some people it's not. In my congregation, we have a Buddhist gong. Mm. Is that okay, Jamal? Yeah, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but but this, this is also the thing, right? That it's like, especially in large world religions, I think you're not going to get consistency among that, right? So there might be some Christians that would feel uncomfortable at Florence's performance, and there might be some Christians that um, that go, "Oh yeah, well this is t- totally fine." I, mm. I think I'm um, so I didn't read the book, but I did listen to um to a podcast on Radio National uh, with with the author, and you know she was talking about the Camino de Santiago as you know. You know, on one hand, it's this very religious pilgrimage thing. On the, on the other hand, the Catholic Church has gone, yeah, anyone can come along. You should come along. It's great. And, you know, there are some people that would feel offended by that and some that wouldn't. And when you have conflicting stances on that, yeah, who, whose view do you take? And in that, that same podcast, I was listening to it on the way here to record, um, she talks about the, um, the, the Met in New York having an exhibition of religious garb and getting permission from the Vatican to do that, right? Like, you know, so divine approval from the Vatican. But there were still a bunch of Catholics that were unhappy in that. And that's an instance where you've got a clear authority authorizing figure, and yet people who identify as in the group, as you're saying, Rebecca, can say, I feel quite uncomfortable about this, and and I disagree with the call that the hierarchy's made here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting... um so, I, so here is one. Here's, here's an open question, though. Where do you stand on who gets to define? 
to find it. Because I feel like the Catholic Church is a little easier because the Catholic Church has such a structured hierarchy where if the Pope says it's there, the Pope is infallible, so therefore just it, that that's what it is. I feel like you're cheating a little bit with that question, Jamal, because you're jumping right to the conclusion of the book of oh, how do okay. we actually deal with this. Well, I, I haven't actually read the book. So, <laughs> no, you haven't. So, You've made that abundantly clear. Yeah, well, um, I, we can jump to the conclusion. You know, flow, and, flow and structure is not a feature of this podcast. Uh, where, does, where does it land? Um, it lands with it gets worse before it gets better, it gets harder before it gets e- easier. Um, and um, for me, the main takeaway is that whatever we do, um, the way we understand religion, different practices, how we may adopt them in our own lives, however we do it, the best thing to do is to be in relationship with one another, um, to have a relationship with the tradition that you are borrowing from. And it's really, she's very critical to make that definition between borrowing and appropriation, mainly so that borrowing in and of itself is not a bad thing. Does that imply that borrowing has permission in some way? I think that's a key thing about it as well. So you're looking at what does permission look like? Well, I think there's a, what does permission look like? But also, I, I mean, one of those things for me is like, is the permission somewhat kind of, situational and embedded in power so so the example that i'm thinking Mm. about right so um as a buddhist um probably the biggest instance i mean there are actually a fair few instances of buddhist borrowing yoga yeah all those things um and you know it's interesting right i mean i think most buddhists probably have less of an issue with the borrowing of mindfulness i think they kind of go well you know you you do mindfulness and you'll probably like it'll probably make you a better person anyway so whatever the one that i've seen the most kind of pushback on is um the kind of the the very the use of Buddhist iconography in like fashionable hipster decor, which mm. which is like you know so you see people with you know um, Buddha statues in their houses as a as as a as an item of you know oh yeah it, they're not Buddhist it's just oh look at this nice item I got while I was on a holiday in Thailand or you know people who have B- Buddhist T-shirts and things like that and you know I think. A lot of Buddhists, again, don't particularly mind about that, but I think that's the one that's had the most pushback. And the instance I'm thinking of in this situation where, when we're talking about borrowing is, you know, sometimes that borrowing is a little bit coerced, right? So someone could very legitimately argue, actually, I'm going to dub them in. My parents have a Buddhist, <laughs> a big Buddha head, right? Right. Um, Your not, dad is a Buddhist. This is not so my dad like, who's a Buddhist. Right, this is okay. my, my other parents. Um, and they have this big Buddha head. And... I don't know if it's still there or not, but at one time uh, when um, when I went over to their house, I noticed, and I turned to my brother, who's also a Buddhist, and mentioned it to him, they were using their Buddha head as a doorstopper for the front door. Yep. Um, and there is a thing in Buddhism about, like, you know, not pointing your feet towards the Buddha and, like, being very, like, you know, the, the Buddha kind of needs to be a little bit elevated from where you are and that kind of thing. And, like, I'm not someone that gets offended by much, but that was a little bit like, ah, oh, hold on, like, w- what's going on here? And like, and look, uh, we didn't. Re- I, I didn't say anything to them about it, whatever else. But I can imagine that people in that situation could also quite legitimately say, "Well, you know what? I bought this from Thailand, say, and I went to a to a temple, and they bought it at a temple, and so you know, th- it was allowed, kind of thing." But also in countries where they are dependent on tourist dollars, and you know, people need to mm. sell things in order to survive, they might, you know make that allowance in a situation they otherwise wouldn't. So there's a nuance to, I think, permissible and, and, and what's been given and what's been taken. 
which is really mm. like the, the whole conversation around colonial appropriation as well, right? Like, I, I don't know whether either of you watched the um, ABC program Stuff the British Stole, um, but I, I watched most of the first season of that, right? And there's a, a ceremonial costume from a North American, like a Canadian chief, who he gave to a mounted policeman in the 19th century and it's now on display somewhere in the UK and it's like, oh, well, did he give it to him or like how, how free was the giving in that instance? And it's, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to, to disentangle some of this stuff, which also makes me think, and sorry, Beck, I know you've got another quote there ready to go. I certainly do. But um, the, the way that certainly Christianity and, and probably other religions like blend different practices in mm. as well. And I'm thinking particularly of South American Catholicism here, right? Where it took aspects of what already existed in South American and Central American um, culture and found homes for them within Christianity, which is of course like quite far removed, I would have thought from the original intent of the indigenous people in South America, although arguably not far removed from the original intent of God if he's kind of created everything and had this plan for how it's all going to line together. Yeah, there's a lot to that. <laughs> I, I have I have seen the uh, Stuff the British Stole podcast come up and I'm like, oh, that's that's another rabbit warren and I need to I need to figure out if I can actually emotionally invest in that right now. Fair, yes. But uh, her good things. Uh, um, one thing that our good friend Liz might have to say uh, and maybe some, something that she offers to her author, uh, to her readers when they actually read the book, Jamal, um, is one way forward would be to develop a set of principles to follow when engaging with religious practices as an outsider. Such principles could include recognising any power differentials between ourselves and the religious community in question. Another could be that pursuing forms of religious engagement beyond tolerance that take religious difference as a source of new values and ways of life. And finally... We might have to be explicit that the expression of our individual autonomy needs to be curtailed so as to recognise, respect and allow the freedom and flourishing of others. Mm, that's, so her first point there around recognising power differentials to me is key. That's the one yeah. that I think informs the rest of them. So like whether or not you curtail your individual decisions kind of based, is based in where your power dynamics are. And Yeah, look, and I look back at, um, you know, um, watching Florence's performance. Look at the end of the day, her using, um, you know, um, uh, Christian imagination and imagery in her performances really isn't going to affect me that much. I think the issues are going to start coming when when use of uh, religious imagery starts affecting communities where there is a bigger power differential there involved. And, and this is partly why kind of borrowing from Christianity, if you like, doesn't seem to be as much of a problem in the West, at least anyway, right? Because that that power differential just, if, if anything, you're punching up. Even now as a pop artist appropriating Christian imagery, you're, you're almost punching up. Well, I was actually about to say, I think it, it ties in with the kind of what I understand to be the golden rule of comedy, which is you're mm. allowed to punch up, you can't punch down, yeah. right? Like it's funny if you're punching up and it's not funny if you're punching down. And so, yeah, the, the context in which, you know, yeah, um, I'm sure, you know, using Muslim iconography in a concert in Saudi Arabia is probably more acceptable than using Muslim iconography in a, you know, in a concert in Australia, right? Because there's a different power dynamic going on there. Um, Although it might be less acceptable in Saudi Arabia for, for precisely those reasons, right? Because 
the with the the power donor if if you were using it in a way that a majority of Saudi Muslims sure. thought was unacceptable. Yeah, if you had an the, image of the Prophet Muhammad peace be on, upon him on the stage, yeah, then that would be a thing. I mean, in the same way as you probably couldn't have done all that much with Christian iconography in the US in the fifties, mm. say. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jamal, you were. Well, no, that was that was kind of it. And I think Liz's points there are really good, right? Because, yeah, it's, it's that thing about going, what is the power differential, right? Are you punching up or punching down? Uh, do you need to just accept that we don't get to just do everything we want here? We have to kind of, like, you know, interact with that. And, yeah, and that, that idea of, like, what is the intention behind it, I think, is useful. So, yeah, if you are using it as a legitimate kind of way of trying to expand your own life, like, you know, I, I the very first episode of this podcast was – you know, can Buddhism make you a better Christian, right? Like fundamentally, I and I'm pretty sure most Buddhists have no problem with other people of other faiths and other non-faiths taking Buddhist teachings and using it to improve their lives. And, you know, you want, you, you know, you know, you, you want to, I wish you with the mindfulness thing, which also, by the way, um, I think you were the one that actually sent us that article to. Yes, yes, it was me. Thank you. Correct. Yes. So <laughs> credit where it's due. But like one of the issues with the mindfulness capitalist kind of thing, which we talk about a little bit, is this, you know, it's taking it's taking something that the Buddhists would probably give freely, but because you're using it in a context which is really ethically not aligned, then it becomes a problem, right? And I, But I think fundamentally if your intention is, well, I just want to live a better life and I just want to, you know, learn a bit more, you know, if, you, if having a Buddha statue in your house uh, makes you a bit more peaceful and a bit more at ease and helps you kind of be more mindful, eh, go ahead, it's fine, you don't have to be a Buddhist. Well, it also opens up the question of like what is sacred, right? Like, and if if I can kind of pull back to a previous part in the conversation, I thought it was really interesting, Jamal, that you said you know kind of um, mindfulness and yoga, if yoga is even Buddhist, and what like it's more Hindu. Yeah, so like Liz the, thinks it's more Hindu too, but she also says it kind of predates <laughs> Hinduism. So yeah, go figure. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. it's fair. Um, but so, but like these these practices. Like you're like yeah that's cool, but actually having the Buddha a, a statue of the Buddha's head used as a doorstopper where you're going to be pointing your feet towards it and whatever, and um, I think clothing was the other thing that you mentioned. Like that 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 crosses more of a line in some way, like almost like the iconography has a, a more sacred dimension to it than the practice. Is that? Well, and I think maybe there's a layer here that maybe Liz doesn't add, which might be useful to add around using yeah, if you're going to borrow borrow it with respect to the traditions and the ways in which the thing you are borrowing is used so you know um yeah if you're going to borrow a buddha statue don't put it on the floor as a doorstopper or don't you know um you know put it at the foot of your bed with your feet pointing towards it all the time but like if you're going to yeah if you're going to borrow um i don't know uh if, if, if you're going to borrow a to use the music example, I, I'm sure that out there there are musicians that have used Jewish singing of the Torah mm -hmm. in a, in a piece of music, right? But if you're if you're taking that, but you're using it in the kind of context in which it's acceptable and used, and you're kind of building your song around that, like that maybe is more acceptable. What what is your opinion? Like outside of what you've, I mean, obviously you've been informed by by the book, but like, do you have a kind of thought? I mean, you know, you said you were uncomfortable with the Florence situation. Like, how how do you see this? Um, I'm still sitting in it. I'm still waiting through, I think. Um, we have mentioned enough that if we're doing things with uh, 
with care, with concern, with respect, and hopefully with relationship as well, and with that consent from the borrower. Um, that any any um, use of religious imagery and iconography should be done with knowing what it is and why, and that's what annoys me. Um, at the end of the day, when things are used without knowledge of respect of where they come from and why, and that acknowledging that they are sacred to some people, even if that person isn't you. Mm. Um, I want to kind of take us on a mild tangent. Oh no, we hate those. Um, I've 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 adopted this this great little term this great little term. Um, um, I've heard it. We use it all the time. Spiritual but not religious. Yep. Um, SBNR. I just like, oh, hey, an SBNR. How are you going? I, I, um, I, I call them Buddhists, but yeah. Yeah, okay, that, that's fair. Um, and this is something. So that, they're allowed to use Buddhist statues, however oh, they yeah, like, right? It, yeah. As long as they take it on the census, yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. Rebecca. And I th- and I think this is something else that um, had been kicking around in my mind with this um, with these ideas that again um, Liz brought really well to light in her book is looking at. There are things about religious practice that people might like, but then they leave the religion behind. And Mm. that there's an issue when you think it's safe to take, I guess, the cream off the cake of the things you want from religion, but you can leave all the messy, hard, difficult things about religion behind because that's not nice. So spirituality is good religion. And, you know, the, the tradition behind the religion itself is not. Is it, and this is kind of the, like the spiritual but not religious thing. Like it just, it strikes me that that is in, in some ways an inherently individualist phenomenon because what it does is it's like, well, I, I want to take the spirituality because I, I like that and that appeals to me in whatever way, but I don't want the, the community or the history that comes along with that because that, might be problematic or difficult yeah. in various ways. Absolutely. And and she says here again that since we are only adopting the bits that work for us without buying into doctrines, dogmas or values, we assume we can safely remain outsiders. But for many religious traditions, correct practice does not necessarily come after belief. In fact, practice may be the way beliefs as well as virtues and larger orientations in the world are created in and of themselves. Well, and, and, and that's kind of my initial thought with that, which is like, is that offensive or is that just like bad for the person who's doing the adopting? Because like I, I would probably argue that somebody who adopts the spiritual practice without the context and takes it away from the kind of the cultural and kind of ethical foundations that it, it arises from is kind of just missing out on a bunch of that spiritual practice and not actually getting the full benefit of it. So I, I, I guess... I don't know, I, I kind of go, and you know, people do this a lot with Buddhism. Espionage are a huge thing with Buddhism. And it's a thing where it's like, I'm like, yeah, okay, but like, just sucks to be you because you, you don't <laughs> actually get the benefit of this. Yeah, and I think like with all things, there's a balance there and that's where the language of borrowing and appropriation comes into it because if you're doing things without the critical, oh, am I being respectful to the community that I'm taking this from, um, if you don't have that critical thought about what you're engaging with, then it does have the potential to be harmful and to take from 
something that is not yours, something that you do not profess to. Is, is there an aspect here as well where um, kind of if you're going down the appropriation rather than borrowing path, I guess, like it, it, not just harmful to the, the group that you're taking from, but it is, do, do you think that there's a risk here that you can engage in practices that are harmful to yourself, right, from a spiritual perspective that you're, you're kind of almost messing with something that you're not necessarily qualified to mess with. I mean, you've talked, Jamal, sometimes about the, the insane retreat things that mm. people sometimes just dive into. And, yeah, like, is, is there a spiritual danger to the appropriator and not just for the cultural harm of the appropriatee? 100%. I, I think it's greater, right? Like, mm. I, I think that the... the the spiritual danger to the appropriator is the greater danger. And I, I think the appropriatee, at worst, it's offence. At worst, it's a bother. But, you know, my my practice is not impacted by whether or not you have a practice, right? Like, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think or maybe only very extreme evangelicals might think that the practice of others somehow... You know, well, and in, and, you know, and if you push that to an extreme, the, like kind of the 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 worst of that as well, you're going to hell or whatever, and kind of that's your problem, not mine, right? If yeah. you ultimately play that out, yeah, yeah, and, and actually, so it, this might sound like a longbow, but but hear me out. I think the people that are actually potentially most at risk of this are Satanists, mm. right? Because yeah. I I think Satanism. Satanism, from what I understand, is a legitimate religion that kind of you know it kind of yeah, it's maybe a kind of um, a kind of a Jungian dark self kind of. Uh, that's not the right term. Jungian. Shades of Pastafarianism. Yes, yeah, shades of Pastafarianism and like piss taking religion, but also I think actually playing into the shadow self, right? Like yeah. I, like the, the Jungian concept of shadow self. I think Satanism is doing a lot of shadow work with Christianity, and I think in its true proper incarnation, I think it's a legitimate religion that actually has some interesting practices and teachings. But the amount of metalheads who just go for Satanist iconography as a way of expressing their rage and being offensive, like, I think there's a, you know, it's hard to work with shadow self in a way that isn't fully embedded in, like, the proper ways of doing shadow work. And and I think, yeah, there's a big risk there. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, in terms of um, I've seen this, um, this, this term come up on Instagram, like, blasphemous fashion where you wear like religious iconography or versions thereof because it's kind of cool or it's it's like a, a kind of its own fashion trend mm. um which you know um some of the just the satanist imagery that i might see on something that is just a fashion item kind of makes me shiver a little bit because i'm legitimately really unsure of how to grapple with that as a religion as a spirituality and it scares me from my perspective and then people just wearing t-shirts and drinking a beer and i can't reconcile those in my brain but well see i find from a christian perspective on this um augustine friend of the podcast uh enormously helpful on this right i don't know if i've mentioned it in the podcast before but he has this idea that kind of now, nothing in the natural world, like no symbol or T-shirt or I think in his context it's like, you know, gemstones or star signs and whatever. It's like none of that has any inherent power of its own. But people look at it and we imbue that with some kind of power, right? Like we, we think that the fortune teller is really telling fortunes. 
And what Augustine reckons is that demons, because he's a big, not a fan of demons, but believer in demons, kind of see that humans are putting value on these otherwise neutral things and go, ah, cool, I'm going to mess with that, right? Like, and it's it's almost taking the, the meaning-making that humans do and it's that rather than anything that's inherent in the symbol or the thing itself that is then actually what causes the harm. I, that's interesting, right? So I'm going to make an anti-Augustine point on that. because I How I, dare you, I, sir? I know, how dare I? But, but I think one of, <clears throat> one of the religions that I think suffers the most from this borrowing in the modern day era and probably in a way that I think it really struggles to rectify itself from and I think almost has to revive itself as a religion through the borrowing is paganism, right? I, th- I think the kind of the modern Wiccan pagan kind of movement, whilst you know, I'm sure there is a lineage of Wiccans who, who can trace a kind of tradition back a- across kind of, you know, uh, avoiding Christian persecution and all these kinds of things. Like, I think there's a lot of, um, and particularly amongst kind of the more hippie uh, parts of society, a lot of use of Wiccan and pagan kind of iconography and, uh, you know, ways of being. And, you know, you, you walk into Byron Bay and there are crystal healing shops mm. and witch stores and all these things. And it's like, well, actually, hold on. Like, like that to me is a real case of borrowing and a really devoid of the actual, like, so- spiritual ness of nature in there can i jump in with an anecdote yes, here I, I i once <laughs> went to go check out a um i went once went to go check out a share house in the lentil belt in canberra um and there was this gorgeous bathroom this lovely bath with a circular window that looked out onto the night sky and the um the people i was sharing sharing with they're like yeah it's super nice in here it's like all like mm, witchy and i was like oh witchy that's nice <laughs> okay um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're engaging in a spirituality, but we're probably going to clash here. <laughs> Which chic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which chic. Well, it, it is like that, right? Like, I, I think there is a very... Well, see, because see, I want to disagree with you a little on this point, right? In that my take on modern paganism is that it's basically invented religion. Like, it, it's inspired by a romanticised imagination of Celtic and European paganism. But when, like, there's no continuity in history worth talking about. And so for, maybe it's been kind of revived through this borrowing. Uh, but I think that kind of if you were to take your pre-Christian British pagan druids if they even actually ever existed in the way that we think they did I, I don't think they would recognize kind of almost anything of modern paganism which, which isn't to you know say that modern paganism is a terrible practice if you're someone who practices that although I'm, I'm probably not a fan right you but, Christian minister <laughs> but but it is to say that it, it it's not what it purports to be and and to be fair, most adherents to Wicca and certainly most Druids are, are pretty open about that fact. Mm. Well, and I, I think look, I I agree with you. I think we're saying the same thing, maybe in different ways. Because yes, okay. I, I agree that what we see as paganism in the modern era is, as I said, it, it's the revival of paganism that's stemmed from this borrowing that's gone and on. European this, paganism, we should yes, say, because absolutely. there are parts of the world where there is a, an indigenous paganism 
still. Yeah, although I, I would say that maybe the calling it pagan is a very European yeah, specific no, that's thing fair. to do. So yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I think for me, um, you know, looking at that example in that share house is like, oh, somebody somewhere kind of believes this or has believed this and has ascribed value to this mm. in, in a um, spiritual religious dimension and now it's just something that has been taken from that context and now it's why your bathroom is nice. For me, there was a there's a disconnect mm. around not engaging with where things have come from with enough care and respect. So that actually reminds me this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar um, and so, yeah, Christian and Buddhists walk into a bar and they're, they're talking, you know, just generally about religion as they always do. So they, they, they have a sit, they have a sit down um, and, and the, the devil's sitting there. Not Nazarudin. Not Nazarudin. Not Nazarudin. No, oh, no, I was no, expecting Nazarudin so, and instead I got the devil. Now, this is, some oh. people might think Nazarudin is the devil, but Nazarudin's not the devil. Nazarudin's a great guy. No, Nazarudin's in the corner just having his mulled wine and reading a book. Yeah, he, he, yep. he, he's a frequenter of the bar these days. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but instead they've got the devil sitting there. Um, and so... so the devil's sitting at the bar and they're going, oh, well, you know, it's an opportunity to talk to the devil. Let's have a conversation. So they, they, they talk about Mick Jagger. They talk about all sorts of different things they like. Um, and, and eventually they, they get to the, 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 the crux of what they, what they want to ask ask the devil. And they go, look, can you just tell me, like, what religion do they practice in hell? Like, we're just really curious about what, what is the religion of hell? And the devil's like, oh, I thought everyone knew. It, it, it's Christianity. Hey. Yeah. Okay. I see how you got there. Yeah. Was yeah. that worth waiting for back? Um, I mean, it was better than the other one. So. <laughs> <laughs> we will never talk at the other joke ever again. It was not a joke. Uh, um, I feel like there's a heap more to talk about here. Would you, do you want to stick around for another episode? Go on. We can do it? Yeah, all right. Well, we might call it a day there, um, but we'd like to... Thank you for coming on, Becky. It, it, it's great to have uh, a listener of the podcast on the podcast as opposed to our other guests who uh, rudely never listened to our podcast beforehand. They listen to it now. They, they have now. Do you know who else listens to our podcast? Who? Kevin McLeod, who does the, the wonderful music. And some people say that he is terrified of ducks and that there's an airport in Argentina named after him. Wow. You've got to fly through the clouds to get to McLeod, eh? That's how hey, you do it, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, you can get us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Uh, also, please tell your friends. Hmm. That reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar um, and... I always wanted to be here for one of those. <laughs> yes. Well, no, you haven't. <laughs> well, so a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar and, um, and yeah, the old mate Nazaruddin is also in the bar today. Oh, well, uh, that's a good start. Yes. Wasn't Nazaruddin in the bar last week? Uh, Nazaruddin is generally in this. Nazaruddin is more frequently coming into this bar because I've realised that Nazaruddin is a great proxy for just general person. So, yes, Nazaruddin oh. is in the bar a lot. Um, actually, this, this this joke does not come to you courtesy of Nazruddin, though, because Nazruddin's in the bar, and t- today they walk in, and the Buddhist is really upset. Like, you know, they walk. You know, it's Christian Buddhist Nazruddin, and they're all sitting there having a drink, and the Buddhist is just like head and hands, really upset. Um, and you know, and they go, you know, oh, like you know, what's going on? Why are you upset? And and the Buddhist is like, oh, so one of my housemates took my copy of the Dharmapada, the holy book of Buddhism, and flushed it down the toilet. And Nazruddin's like, oh. Wow, that that that's like that that is super like offensive. I, I'm really sorry that happened to you. If that happened to me with my holy books, I would be, I'd be so angry. And the Christian was like, "Yeah, if someone took my Bible, I would be like, I would be raging. They flushed my Bible down the toilet. Like, what? Oh, I'm I'm so sorry." And the Buddhist is like, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm not upset about that. I the the book's a book. I had to call a plumber, and it cost a lot of money, and it really sucked." 
Sorry, was there a joke there? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a joke. It, 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 was me, it was me trying to crib an Ajahn Brahm joke again back, back in there. Um, and, and clearly, clearly I failed. So so you got to witness one of the, the great jokes there. But um, it, it wasn't the, even funny. It wasn't even funny, I know. The, the, the joke for that one is just that, you know, uh, the the Buddhist books don't matter that much. It's just about calling a plumber and having to fix your toilet. But I, I can tell another joke if we want to recut that one. If that was <laughs> if that was too bad, it's entirely up to you. If if you can live with this, then oh, I don't, I don't think I can actually. Let's cut and I'll I'll, re, I'll, re, I'll redo it. Can I put this bit on at the end? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, fill your boots. Liz, if you're ever listening to this, you're my hero. Yeah, cool.